This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Set. One and a half. One and a quarter. One. <laughs> Welcome into episode 72 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And um, last time we spoke, we weren't very optimistic about the Bruins, but here we are a week later, and I think their effort has um, vastly improved in, I'd say probably the last three games, even though Detroit, they, they didn't go to the net hard enough, but certainly in Nashville and then against Tampa last night, despite losing an OT, the effort's been uh, much improved, and no matter how much skill you have as a team, like a team's identity stems from effort, and it seems like the Bruins are starting to come around a bit. Yeah, I think last week, going into you know knowing that they were going to be without Marshan for three games, you had the distraction or potential distraction of Jake, Jake DeBrus' trade request. Then you had Bruce Cassidy coming down with COVID. So you had all this going on. It really could have been – things could have very easily fallen apart, and it turned into a really bad week. Um, That's you know, kind of like what it looked like was going to happen after the Detroit game. Yeah, but even that game – like, they played pretty well. Yeah, they, they did. It just felt like an overwhelming amount of news to have to deal with. Yeah. Well, and, and even that game could have, you know, gotten them down because, because they dominated and they – have chances and they still end up losing like but they responded well to that I thought I actually thought Nashville was as a team probably like their worst of the three games and it's the one that they end up winning thanks in large part to Jeremy Swayman stepping up with the 42 42 safe shutout um and then Tampa was a really great effort and yeah Tampa's not 100% either they don't have Kucherov or point right now but Bruins didn't have Marchand or McAvoy, so there's your two best players. Um, and, you know, we had mentioned last week, like, guys are going to have to step up. And, and I said I want to see them take two of three. You know, one, one, and one, like, you'll take that given how they played. Um, and guys did step up. I thought Taylor Hall lifted his game going up to the first line. Uh, Eric Halla came back from his healthy scratch and played very well. He's by far his best week as a Bruin. 
Um, Jake DeBrusque, uh, good effort and good skating, and it was scored a goal himself. Um, was involved, was active, and I think you know at least showed like he's not gonna he's not gonna be mailing it in or you know just going through the motions until he gets traded. Like you know the Bruins had said like, hey, they basically told him like, hey, you have to play well. Uh, you know, well yeah, because, because yeah, we're working to facil- facilitate your trade request, but until that happens, like you have to help by doing your part and playing well. And so far he has. Yeah, and well, there's two two factors that go into that. One is, you know, he has to, if he likes his teammates, like we've heard everybody say, you know, Jake's a great kid, you're playing for them at this point. And, and also you're playing to try to increase your trade value. And Sweeney said, I don't know if you caught this, when, when Cassidy, when it first came out that Cassidy had COVID, Sweeney did a press conference a few days ago. I forget which day. It was Monday. Monday. And he said, you know, we're not we're being patient with taking our offers and seeing what we can get for DeBrusque. And then at the very end, he said, uh, when or if. So, like, he said if at the end, like, saying, like, DeBrusque needs to play well. And if we don't get a good, like, offer, we'll see. So, I mean, he... DeBrusque has to know, like, all right, I got to somehow make myself valuable and in order to get what I want, which is to get out of town. Yeah, and Scott made a, a point about DeBrusque not mailing it in. And while I, I agree with that, you know, he didn't have the luxury of mailing it in because of his last year and a half. So if he cares about his future and going to a situation um, and being traded, then he, he, had to, he had to play well. The other reason he had to play well, as Bridget mentioned, was to play for his teammates. Um and that fact that Marshan being suspended for three games, Bleed being out, and Providence coming down with COVID, they they had to play him. Yeah, and um, he had to play well for them. And 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 you know, look, he he did. I, mean, I don't know, Scott. Maybe a headline for you this week could be um, DeBrusque playing much better in Bruce Cassidy's absence. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know. I was I was gonna I was gonna mention that. Yeah, I, look, I don't dismiss that as a as a possible factor. Like, I don't know. So I guess what I'll say is, like, I don't know what Bruce Cassidy's in-game approach versus Joe Sacco's is. Like, does Bruce Cassidy get in guys' ears, you know, after a bad shift, or does he let them try to play through it? Like, I don't know how involved Cassidy gets from shift to shift during a game, or if he leaves that to the assistants, or even just whoever, like, the quote-unquote leader of the line is to kind of step up. Like, you know, and is Sacco more... Hands off. Like, you know, if DeBrusque had a tough shift this week, would he know, like, you know, no one's going to get in my ear, I can play through it type thing. Like, you know, maybe just not having that pressure of, like, Cassidy over his shoulder. I don't I don't totally dismiss that. Like, it, it could be a thing. I think, you know, DeBrusque needing to play well and stepping up this week is – I think it would have happened anyways, but it, it it's – at least an interesting point to bring up for sure. I think it definitely factors in, but he also is playing with two different guys than he normally has. So ever since he was scratched, he's been moved down to that fourth line. And uh, so against Nashville and against um, Tampa Bay, he was playing with Noshik and Lazar. And I think Lazar kind of helped lift his play too. They played well together, I thought, especially in that Tampa Bay game. Yeah, it, it was a very straightforward style. Like it's... You're not asking him to do anything complicated. Like if you can't 
get on a straight line and forecheck hard, then 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 you're really not bringing anything. So that's that's about all he's being asked to do on that line. They weren't, you know, they weren't really used as like a tough matchup line. So he didn't have super hard defensive responsibilities or anything. Uh, it was basically like get the puck and go, get in deep, get behind the defense, and you know just go to work and try to throw it to the front or something. And and he did that well. And, and Noshek and Lazar do that well when when they're playing well. It's kind of been. You know, we've talked in the past about, like, does your fourth line have any sort of identity? Like, I think Noshik and Lazar have had that, especially when they were with Bleed, um, you know, we're starting to develop an identity. And then you put DeBrusque there, and he has been able to at least do that. And it's not like he's playing with Hala again, which we mentioned Hala. Like, they were both slumping at the same time. They were both not performing up to par at the same time, and they were just kind of bringing each other down. And now we see kind of Hala playing his best because we see him with a different combination with um, with Coyle and Smith on his line, and he's looked much better. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, since we last spoke, Eric Hala, um, along with Brandon Carlo, really stepped up and, and, and showed the players that they're capable of being and need to be for this team to be successful because, like like any NHL team, if certain players aren't bringing, you know, at least the, the basics, which is which is effort and, and being tough to play against, there's a domino effect that just happens because now you're relying too much on other people and it just – everybody has to, to, to pull on the rope a little bit. Kind of like Bill Belichick always says, you got to do your job. Um, otherwise – you know, otherwise the roster can look a lot worse on the ice than it really than it is on paper. And I think that Brandon Carlo, I said going into the season, he needed to step up this year and 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 take a step forward. And up until the last call it two games, um, he had taken a major step backwards for his size specifically. He was losing a lot of one on one battles. He was icing the puck a ton. He just wasn't very confident at all and wasn't playing well. But in Nashville, I thought he had his best game of the year, not because of the goal, because of how he was playing without the puck and defending and being tough to play against. He was challenging opposing forwards in the neutral zone at center ice, forcing other teams to, to ice the puck because they couldn't gain that red line. And then, and I, and I thought he played really well in the game against Tampa without Charlie McAvoy's um, presence in the lineup. And I thought Eric Hall looked, again, it all starts with effort and moving your feet, and uh, especially when that's your, when that's your strength. And, you know, he played really well in Nashville against his former team, which doesn't say much because there's about 30 of those for him. But uh, <laughs> uh, And then he also played he, – he he led to the, the goal for, the, for, for Charlie Coyle against Tampa. A and game... he, set up, he set up that goal for Carlo in Nashville. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, he did. And, um, and was involved in and the rest goal because yeah. he had the net drive. Exactly, exactly. But the, the goal against Tampa is huge because that's a game where the Bruins were dominating in shots. They were – they were outworking their opponent. They had a bunch of posts, and just they, and then they had luck go against them too. And it just felt like everything was going against the Bruins, and they couldn't buy a break. And then a strong forty-five second shift in the Ozone leads to um, Hall of Finding Coil, and the Bruins now may have an issue with like when when Martian comes back. What do they do with Taylor Hall? Because that Craig Smith, Eric Hall, Charlie Coyle line. That's a fun, that's a really really good if they're all playing well. That's a really really strong third line, yeah. Which speaks therein to the Bruins, the which, which therein lies the problem. But if the Bruins can, you know, 
that speaks to their depth, right? That that or their lack thereof, uh, at least up front. But that line could be something. And Hol- and so Scott and I were sitting on the ninth floor at uh, the game in Tampa Bay, and then after the press conference, um, after the game, me and him were sitting there like, okay, well, we're just running through like line options when Marshawn comes back, like. Hall's playing well with Pasternak. Do you move Hall and Pasternak with Coyle on the second line? Do you, like, because I think the least likely thing would be to keep Hall with, like, on the left wing and not slot Marshawn back in there. So I think he, he'll he come off the, the top line. But do you also move Pasternak off the top line? And then what do you do? You obviously would have to switch Smith to the first line with Bergeron and Marshawn, but then what do you do with Hall? You're finally getting the best effort out of him in, in the best scenario because and Hall mentioned I mean um Coyle mentioned this after the game he played with him in Minnesota but they never really spent much time yeah. on the same line but just be, just because he knew what his tendencies were they were able to create chemistry pretty pretty early on and being um paired together now that they're on the Bruins so it, there's just it, oh, it seems like there's either one too many or one too few guys to just kind of rotate it around and make it work. I want I want Scott to, to, to give his two cents in this first. The only thing I'll say before you, you take off, Scott, is that um, I, I think the biggest reason for Hollow's emergence has been him being moved to the wing because it mm-hmm. alleviates him from all those defensive responsibilities in a new system. That I th- I'm sure they were weighing on his mind, and he wasn't obviously playing well in that role. So... I think Scott will probably have Halla still on the wing with some new combinations. Yeah, I, I would keep him on the wing because I think that's it's allowed allowed him or forced him, depending on how you want to look at it, to simplify his game and, like you said, not have uh, as much to do defensively, which is uh, an area where he struggled at times. He's missed some assignments, not picked up the right guy, um, and I don't know if that's a systems thing. If that's you know, Halla hasn't. I don't think he's been a great defensive player in throughout his career. Like I, I think he can be serviceable and he can help on the penalty kill. But um, you know, with Trent Frederick getting a look at center, now look, I don't like Trent Frederick as a third line center, but I think he's done decently well this week. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe you keep him there and you also have no check. Um Yeah, but I think Hall is getting moved down to your point. Like I think what they're going to do, at least to start this road trip, is is just the most likely thing, it, which is it's going to be back to Marshan Berger and Pasenak, Hall, Coyle, Smith. Because so Joe Joe Sacco was asked about this after the game, and he said mm-hmm. you know, he was asked like Taylor Hall has looked you know refreshed or or energized by playing on that top line. How do you make sure like he keeps playing like that? And he said like you know. Taylor Hall should be able to play this way with anyone. Um, which I'd say, like, you know, some of his hookups with Pasternak were, like, pure skill. Like, the the flip pass that Pasternak makes to spring him on the breakaway, like, that's not a play that just any right wing or, you know, line mate can make. Um, you know, him setting up Pasternak for the power play goal uh, on, I think that was against Detroit. Like, you know, not just anyone's going to bury that chance. Um, but they're going to need him to play on the second line, I think, and that's what they're going to go to. And if things aren't working or that second line starts to go quiet, then you can start to consider switching things up again. Um, as far as what to do with Hala, 
I wonder if we're starting to see some writing on the so Fluda Shinzao and the Athletic wrote about this for Sunday. That like the signs are kind of there now of a debrusque trade could happen like at any moment at this point because you have Anton Bleed working. You get Marshan back from suspension first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Anton Bleed is on the ice. He hasn't practiced with the team yet, but he's been on the ice, so he presumably is getting closer to return. You called up Oscar Steen, so you have some options now, and it's getting easier to see. Whereas this past week, we looked at him and, and we're like, "Well, you need DeBrus because you just simply don't have enough bodies." Now you see where like there's options where if you trade DeBrusque Monday or Tuesday, you know you have guys you can plug in, and one of them would be Hollow moving down and being either your third or fourth line left wing, and then you can either keep Felino on the left or move him back to the right. Potentially have bleed coming back, like you've had, you know, Lazar on the right. Coolman, I think, has been fine. He is what he is. Like you know, we kind of know what Carson Coolman is at this point. But now, now you now you have some options. You know, you can plug Steen in if you want. Um, so I like I wonder if DeBrusque even gets moved out now, even if they don't get a trade done. And you could almost even like sell that as, well, we know we're going to trade you, so we just want to make sure you don't get hurt. So, and well, no, go ahead, Bridget. Brian, th- this is something you said right before we started recording the podcast, which is the Bruins have clearly started to take them out of their game plan. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, you know, DeBrusque, the way he played in Nashville and against Tampa Bay, shift by shift, you would look at that player and say, you know, that guy shouldn't be playing eight to ten minutes in this game. He's like playing well every time he's out there. But again, they they don't, yeah, they don't want to. Rely on them too too much, and they don't, they also you know they don't want them to get you don't want to risk more uh, uh, opportunity to get hurt or something or, or make a dumb play right. So I think I think they're trying to keep them just a little bit you know uh, you know right where he should be. Um, let me, quite well let me ask ahead. this guy something on on DeBrus because I saw a couple of people mention this. Do you think they should have put him up on the top line this week with Bergeron and Pasternak to pump up his value and you know hope he like puts up some points there and, you know, maybe generate more interest. No. Yeah, I'm with Bridget. <laughs> I say no because I think that a team looking to trade for him, they see him playing with, uh, who was it, Nosek and Lazar, right? And playing really well and, and obviously playing motivated. I think that's more impressive than potting a few with Bergeron and Pashnak because, you know, you could you could put Scott McLaughlin with those two. Um, apparently, not Taylor Hall, and uh, and score a goal or two. So I, I just think that playing with those great players may have just kind of devalued it a little bit if he had scored. Whereas his goal against Nashville, uh, granted, it was a power play, but you know, he, he I just think I I wouldn't have done that. Um, furthermore, these are games that Bruins needed to win, um, mm-hmm. or at least you know whatever, uh, and. And DeBrus didn't give him the best chance in that line. Taylor yeah. Hall did. So that, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Did you guys forget we're supposed to win? Yeah. Like, yeah. But, like, you're not in a position where you can kind of screw around, and if it no. costs you a game, like so what? Right. Like you're you're right on the playoff bubble. You've got to collect as many points as you can. So in the essence of trying to keep that newfound chemistry between Hollis, Smith, and Coyle together, okay, I came up with a few with with, with um one option of combinations that maybe they could they could they could try um but again it's tough because 
This is excluding Jake DeBrusque, but not including the unknown you could maybe get for him. So um, I guess keep that in mind. But if you wanted to keep that third line, well, let's call it a third line. DeBrusque, Halla, I mean, um, what's it called? Uh, Halla, Coyle, and, and Smith. Okay. What if you did Taylor Hall on the second line with Pashnak, and, and, and now maybe you try to put Stanika there? Maybe. But... And and then I, and then the fourth line could be Nosik, Frederick centering, Frederick centering Nosik and Lazar because I, I have like Frederick at center. Um, you mean the fourth line? The fourth line. What did I say? Oh, sorry. I thought you said third. That's my bad. Um, I, I'm kind of reading them out of order. I'm just I'm more so reading off combinations that they could try. And then with Bergeron and Martian, if you want to keep Pashnak with Hall and keep Smith with that third line. Is it worth trying to put Felino with those two guys to see if he can bring anything to that line? I know he has zero goals. I get that. But I also know he's a proven leader and and productive player in this league. Could that be something that they could try? I'm just I'm just spitballing here. And also, Bergeron's the one who recruited Felino to sign with the Bruins. Um, I wouldn't do that. I don't think I don't think he'd bring enough to that line. Like I think Bergeron and Marchand, yes, can lift up just about anyone, but you also don't want to put someone there who's gonna I don't drag down isn't the right word, but who's gonna make that line less effective. And I think Or change the style. Yeah, and I, I just think I think Felino with what he is at this point in career at this point in his career, I think would make that line less effective. Like then you're really forcing Bergeron and Marchand to do so much so much of the work where that it's like, okay, Felina, just like go to the net and these guys are gonna set you up. But which kind of takes away the way they like to cycle and well, it, it kind of yeah, would break and, the flow of that line. And Bergeron does so much defensive work that that line works best when you have two wings who can like really get going in transition and you know let Bergeron join the rush later because they're gonna be good enough to like get in the zone and create a chance. And I just don't know if I don't think Felino has that transition game at this point. Yeah, I actually, I agree totally. I, I I brought that up just for like you know shits and gigs really, um, because I th- I think the ultimately that that line that's looked well together, um, Coyle centering Halla and Smith. I don't think you're sitting there being like, well, we got to keep these guys together above everything else. Like they're 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 gonna have to get switched around when when Marshan comes back. But what I will say is Craig Smith could go with Bergeron and Marchand and do a lot of those things you were talking about because he's a better finisher than Felino, he's quicker than Felino, and he's as effective on the forecheck as Felino. His hits might not be as thunderous, I guess, but but he's he can do he can slide up there and still allow that line to stay true to their identity, like Bridget said. I, I, I just I think I really liked what I saw out of Pasternak and Taylor Hall working together. I mean they had countless chances. Look, t- Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point were not playing for Tampa. But they're very stout and big defense core. They were all intact, and you know, like you said earlier, Pashnak doing looping the the aerial pass, you know, th- two zones to, to Hall the blue line, and multiple breakaway chances. Um, There's a few chances that I just do not know how Pashnak or Hall didn't score. I know, like there were some net drives where I was like, I don't know how that didn't go in for Hall, and then there was Pasta ringing the post like 50 yeah. times. It, it was like that. It was like that drill when you're younger, and and the coach like gets you to warm up, and he's like, all right. Take a puck, skate skate down ice, full, full full length of the ice, and get back in line. Like no shooting, 
right? Like they just they, they, they skated the whole length <laughs> of the ice with, with the puck, and then just like got to the red line, and just like shuffle the puck off into the corner. They get back in line and do it again. It's like at least yeah, like Hall had that one. I think it rolled on him, and he just he had yeah. an open net to shoot it into. It just either bounced or he just mishandled it at the last second. Or like at, at yeah. least the Bruins had a couple odd man rushes where they actually yeah. shot the puck this yeah. time. They, they still didn't score, so yeah. like there's one more step to go. But at least they actually got some shots off on two on ones. Yeah, it just like it just seemed like a couple like. I know people were pissed off about the non-call in overtime, but there were, like, multiple times throughout the game where, like, Hall and Pashnak, like, they had the puck within 10 feet of the goal, and the littlest, you know, stick work on the hands or, like, stick on stick just, like, negates their opportunity to, to score. And it's like, well, guys, like, I know it's not the 1980s anymore, but it's like, you can't just allow that to, like, just knock you off. From, yeah. Like, you have to be stronger on the stick than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get it. It's a penalty. It should be a penalty in today's game, but like, all right. So a defense, you know, Sergachev reaches around and gets a stick on your on your glove, and now you can't shoot the puck. Like, find a way. <laughs> yeah. And just one more point about having Hall and Pasternak together. We have been very critical up until this point in our podcast. Like, you know, we we've been breaking down. Like, well, what do we do? How do we move? Like. How do we find a way to make everything like work? What are the best combinations? All of a sudden, we're finally sitting here with some positives and some optimism, and it's because of these new line combinations. Now you're going to go back to different line combinations. It's like you may have stumbled upon something that works well and it's working better than some of the other situations that you've had the whole year, but now, but now you're in this dilemma where it's like we have – Obviously, we have to put Marshawn back in. He's your best player, pretty much, and so it. I just don't know. It's just it, like such a weird situation to be in, where we're we're talking about the op, like the optimism that we have because of what we've seen. But you take Hall away from Bergeron Pasta, does he go back to having the same issues he was having and like become more stagnant? Um, and does Halla become more stagnant? Like. You were able to get the best out of those two players with these new combinations, but um, you're probably going to go back to having similar problems when you move it back. Well, we'll see. I mean, the, the hope would be that what they've been doing well, they'll bring back to their right. other. But lines. don't, but don't you guys? That, think... that kind of worked with with Grizzly recently, right? Like Cassie talked about, he put Grizzly up with McAvoy because he thought that's a good way to get Grizzly's game going because Grizzly wasn't playing well. And then Grizzik got moved back with Carlo and has, you know, hasn't lit the world on fire, but I think has continued to play pretty well. At least hasn't struggled the way that, and Carlo playing better is definitely part of that. Like they've both lifted their games, um, but like that happened with them being away from each other first, and sometimes that sometimes that way that's what you need. So like Hall going back with Coyle and Smith now, maybe he maybe what he was doing with Bergeron Pasternak he brings that back, and now he continues to play better. There is no Pasternak on the second line. There is no one on that second line that plays the way Pasternak does, sets up in the same place as Pasternak. Like, it's different. It's not the same look. They they play a different style on the second line than they do with Pasternak and Bergeron. So, I mean, yes, he could get going, but it's it's not the same way that he's been playing in the last three games. No, but with Hall, I don't think it's just about, like, a chemistry fit or, like, no. What his wings are doing, like I think, I think a lot of this is how Taylor Hall is playing, and I don't think he was playing particularly well. There, there were times where I thought Coyle was the one who was playing best on that second line, yeah. 
And that really shouldn't happen if Taylor Hall is playing the way he should be playing. Like, he should consistently be the one driving that line um, if he's playing well. And I think if he brings – if the way he played this week, if he's able to bring that back, then he can be that. And and that's what you would be counting on. So, uh, like, look, I think – Pashnak is not without his deficiencies, right? So, like for every for every shift where you know he makes a a really neat pass to Taylor Hall, or you know they're cycling a little bit, there's also a couple of shifts where he turns it over in a neutral zone and Taylor Hall has to go back and play defense. Um, and like Scott said, I think I think the hope is that it took these players to have to step up without certain players in the lineup. It it, it took you know yet these line combinations were the ones that were intact when they got going. But the, the the point is now they're going. And it really shouldn't matter. You know, I mean, look, Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith, they're going from playing, in theory, they they played really well with, with Halla. They should play even better now with Taylor Hall. Um, I think for Eric Halla, I don't think it was more, I don't think it was as much playing with Coyle and Smith as it was him just not playing center anymore. Like, Co- Charlie Coyle said, like after, the, and you said earlier, Bridget, like, they didn't play much together at all in mm-hmm. Minnesota. So there was no built-in chemistry. Coyle just said he knows how he plays. Well, they all know how each other play. Like, they're all teammates. Um, I think. The, Do you think there is a comfortability for Hollow though, playing with Coyle, who he knows, like, he doesn't have to, like, prove himself to mm, as much because they've been together before? Maybe subconsciously a tiny bit, but I think I just think there was less pressure on his shoulders where I, I think that when he plays wing, there's less that he can do wrong in a D zone um, to, to, to hurt his team, right? So in a D zone, it's pretty much, you know, you know cover your point. Uh, if it's on the strong side, I guess cover the slot if, it's, if you're the weak side wing. And then it's if it comes to you, just you got to get it out. Whereas when you're a center down low, as we've seen with him, you know, apparently there's points where you're supposed to be a little bit higher, lower, and you're going to want, win a lot more um, battles beneath the, the goal line. So I think for him, I think he went into these games motivated from a healthy scratch, but also, like Scott said earlier, he was able to simplify his game. And 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 for anybody, when you when you play when you simplify your game, um, it just you you just play better. It's it, it's uh it's just the way that it goes. When you think too much, you start you start um, reacting rather than acting. And I think that as a winger, there was less pressure for Halla. And I think that if he goes off Coyle and Smith's line. Which is incredibly likely with Martian coming back, he'll still be on that wing, and um, he should be able to translate how he played in Nashville and against Tampa to whoever he plays with next, not in this Canadian uh, West Coast trip. Yeah, so I guess I would just wrap up by saying, um, you know, while I'm advocating and expect them to just go back to the traditional lines of Martian, Bergeron, Pasternak. Hall, Coyle Smith, at the very least, I do think you should be a lot more willing to change that, whether that's from game to game or within a game. If if something's not clicking or, you know, if the second line's not going or if Pasternak's not going or whatever it is, like, you should know that moving Pasternak to the Hall-Coyle line is an option. And, you know, I think the top line can still succeed with Smith. Um, you know, I, I would like to see the Bruins be more willing to go to that from time to time, even if it's not an every game thing where like now these are their new lines and that's what they're sticking with. Yeah, I I still think 
I still think that if the look, it's it's difficult to really speak on right now because this roster, like many in the NHL, or, or at least like many playoff hopeful and, and, and cup contenders, the roster is not complete right now. It's only it's barely December, um, and without knowing what they get in return for Jake DeBrusque or who they may give up along with Jake DeBrusque in a package, and also and I and I know I know some fans are probably like over this conversation, but until certain deadlines come and go, I'm like David Krejci coming back is also like still out there too. It might be very unlikely next to no probability, probability but you know yeah, no, what, what, apparently just because we're near it. I guess December 15th is an, an important date in that. Um, again, I'm not going to pretend. Like, I thought I knew some of the details in terms of, like, how many games he had to play in Europe or whatever. But um, Dominic Tiano, who is who knows a lot of, like, prospect stuff and I think is generally pretty tied in, wrote something this week uh, that basically, like, the Bruins – if the Bruins were to sign Krejci before December 15th, he wouldn't have to go through waivers. If he plays in the Czech Republic one game after December 15th, he then has to go through waivers. So um, it seems extremely unlikely because Krejci is already on the record as saying he was committed to his Czech team for the whole season, which goes until at least March. And that deadline is 10 days away? Yeah. So seems highly unlikely, but I guess... I guess until it passes, like you don't, yeah, you know, don't totally it, rule stuff out, but right, and, and it's it's look. Sometimes they say when there's smoke, there's fire. There's no smoke right now. Um, <laughs> people, we're still trying to grind the rocks together. But um, I, but I guess my point is whether it's whether it's the highly unlikely chance of it's David Krejci or um, some another t- another true top six center that's currently not in the roster. Right, so maybe maybe they find a way to package DeBrusque and 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 snag JT Miller from from Vancouver, who's a dumpster fire right now, um, and he has a you know pretty high contract. But whoever it is, if it's if they get a, if they add a a, a, sec, a true second line center, I still think that the Bruins might be better off as a team with um, with Hall and Pashnak with said second line center, and then having Craig Smith and Bergeron and Martian because. You're 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 just not a one trick pony. Like it, we've seen it in the past. Like the, there's been seasons where the top line, they're the Harlem Globetrotters for 82, and maybe sometimes even the first round. But then when it gets down to the second round and bigger teams and bigger defenses for seven games, and they, they t- like teams they figure out how to game plan against you just like you find out to take away their best players. And so I just think that by by and, and like Taylor Hall is a former MVP. He's no slouch. So like those two. If you could have Bergeron and Marchand, two thirds of Team Canada's top line or second line, and then you have a former MVP and a and a current you know fifty goal caliber scorer together, like that's just incredible balance. And we don't know certain things right now because it's so early. But I'm saying when the playoffs come around, hopefully they have a, a, a top. Hopefully Charlie Coyle's down in the third line, and a in a phenomenal third line center. And hopefully this team slots more like a cup contender. And if they are, I just feel like balance is better. Yeah, and I would also point out that Cassidy has used that top line, I think, as a matchup line more than in some recent years. Like it's almost gone back a little bit to the to the Claude era, and I think part of that is because there's been so much turnover in the bottom six that Cassidy hasn't 
yet like completely trusted either of those lines to okay go out and handle the other team's top line. So you know, I'm thinking of like the Oilers game. You saw a lot of the Bergeron line out against McDavid. The Calgary game, you saw. You know, those are both home games. Cassidy could have gone away from those matchups if he wanted, but kept the Bergeron line out against uh, the Kachuk Lindholm Gaudreau line. And if you're going to be doing that, that's where like I would. You can do that with Craig Smith there. Craig Smith is a good defensive player too. Like he's responsible. So like you could do that if that's something you think you're going to going to continue to do moving forward. That's where I want to see Pasternak get bumped to the second line. Get him away from those. Like that's not Pasternak's strength. Right. Now he can do it because he's with two elite defensive players and he'll, you know, he'll fit. But get him away from that. Put him with Coyle and Hall or, you know, second line center to come. Um and free him up more and get him into more offensive situations. And if you had if you had a a, a Taylor Hall, David Pashnak, future center to come line, um, you know, they, it wouldn't even be let's just say it was like a JT Miller or somebody who's like has that capability, right? It's like a true number two center or number one center maybe. Um, you're not talking about a second line. You're talking about two first lines that have different yeah. purposes. You know what I mean? And, and similar that, to what you had last year going into the playoffs. Yeah. You know? didn't carry through the whole playoffs but like that's what you felt like you had exactly that's what you need to have yeah otherwise you're not going to go very far um yeah so again there's there's too many unknowns but that's you know i will say at the very least the the bruins effort in the last two games no matter how much talent you have or don't have you need to have a certain um style of play and i thought earlier on scott you mentioned you thought that the Nashville game may have been their worst of the three. I thought that the Detroit one was because, first of all, Detroit, uh, Nashville and Tampa are those are some big teams. I didn't realize how big Nashville really was. They're they're a big team, um, and Detroit was the smaller of the three, and that was the team that the Bruins stayed to the stayed on the outside against. And I, and yeah, they had forty, whatever it was five shots, but they were they weren't high danger shots. I thought that. The Nashville game, yes, Swayman had to make some key stops, but the Bruins played a a very, very blue-collar game that you need to play in the NHL to win, no matter how much talent you do or don't have. And I thought they did the same thing against Tampa Bay. They had to they went to the middle of the ice against bigger, stronger teams, and um, it showed. The, 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 the Bruins won, forget the shots on that against Tampa, they won virtually, it seemed as though, Every single puck battle in the third period, every 50-50 puck in the third, except for like the last minute, the Bruins won those battles, and it's very evident. It was very evident. Yeah, and that was especially encouraging because we've seen them have some poor third periods in, over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, yeah to, so, to be able to close out a game like that. Yeah, and, and that was, you know, we've been spending all this time talking about line combinations for the most part, but... One of the main encouraging things about what came, even though it was ended up being a um, overtime loss to Tampa Bay, was the fact that they were down two nothing and they were able to fight back from that and and tie it and get the point. Yeah, and they had plenty of reason to be discouraged. Like that second goal could have just been the absolute backbreaker on the night because Pasanak and Carlo had both hit the post like less than a minute before, like twenty seconds apart. And then Tampa comes down, and it's just throwing a centering pass into the slot on the rush and goes in off a skate. Like, that's the kind of thing where, like, 
if you're a weak team, you throw up your hands and go like, well, not our night. Like, what are yeah. we gonna do? But yeah, they, they fought back. Like they they showed, I'd say all week, but especially in that Tampa game, showed real heart and and compete. I I I, I pride myself on being. Uh, consistent with, with uh, analyzing players in, in games, and so for that reason, I would like to take this opportunity to to shout out a player who I thought uh, had a really good couple of games, not mistake free. I, for the first time over the last two games, real acknowledged what the Bruins were thinking when they signed Derek Forbert. Here we go. Um, no, no, no! You're not allowed to talk about him. That's Scott. Scott <laughs> has a monopoly on while, Forbert articles. While I stay firm, they signed him for the wrong role. He played against Nashville and Tampa Bay the way that a stay-at-home, well-sized number six defenseman on a good team should play. I thought he played simple, and I thought that he actually was pretty physical in the corners. Um, I thought he used his size and even in games this year where he had a couple of goals against Philly and this and that, like I was just never really that impressed because I was like, look, every blind squirrel finds a nut. Right. And I just, or as, as Wiggy would say, every blind, nut, uh, every now and then a blind nut finds a squirrel. You're going to find a blind squirrel every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wiggy slang aside. Um, I, I, I just thought that. I was impressed by the decor as a, as a unit against Tampa Bay without Charlie McAvoy. I thought everybody stepped up. Obviously, Mike Riley had a you know it was kind of a tough play because he batted that puck out of the air and he became flat footed because of it. Um, you know, and, and it led to the Tampa Bay first goal and he got you know beat to the net. So not a great play by him. But besides that, you know, I, mean, I on I, that on that power play shift before that, the Bruins were buzzing. Yeah, and and I thought I thought Riley for the most part moved the puck well aside from that shift and was he was he was he was physical down low too. I thought I was impressed led, by the Bruins. Led the as team a in minutes too. Riley Did he? Yeah. yeah. I, I I was just impressed by by that decor, especially you know Jack Ashan playing a lot of shifts against Corey Perry and Pat Maroon, who literally double him in size. Um, and Derek Forbert was part of that, so I I just wanted to give him a shout out because I thought that look I don't think he's a top four defenseman and and. Don Sweeney thought he could have been. But if he plays the way he played against Nashville and Tampa Bay and he's your sixth defenseman and he's 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 used um appropriately and he plays simple and physical, okay, great. I mean, every team ha- I mean, Eric Chernak isn't isn't, you know, the greatest def- uh, skilled defenseman in the world, but you know, he plays his role. I just thought I would throw that out there for the last few games at yeah, least. Yeah, I agree, especially playing playing with a Sean. Like I thought he Provided a nice security blanket, mm. and 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 you could tell us Sean felt comfortable playing more of his style because uh, he's played was it three NHL games before, yeah. Before this, he played a few um, at the end of the regular season last year, um, and he never looked quite as confident and comfortable with the way that he was able to play because he was probably more. Uh, I don't know if self conscious is the right word, but um, aware of the fact that. He needed a defensive partner that could really um, allow him to kind of drift in. Sometimes that's how he likes to play, and know that someone's going to be able to have his back. Yeah, the, so the two of them together played eight twenty four at five on five. Uh, any guesses as to what their coursing may have been? What their shot attempt differential was? No, I don't know. But Sean had quite a few. He 
I mean, they didn't all go on net. Yeah. But so, he blasted a few. So when Sean and Forber were on the ice together at 5-on-5, five five, the Bruins out-attempted the Lightning 13-1. to one. Good for them. Yeah. Ashan in the game played 14.58 at 5 and 5, and the Bruins out attempted the Lightning 31 to 5 yeah. during those minutes. So, like, and he was, he, was, he was definitely part of that. He was not a passenger, he was very much involved. Um, and, you know, a lot of matchups against Tampa's depth, which we talked going into the season saying that, you know, hey, if the Bruins can improve their depth, like, m- maybe they can challenge the Lightning in terms of, like, your bottom six, your third pairing against theirs because yeah. the Lightning lost so much there. And I think, you know, Bruins pretty decisively won that battle last night, even being down some depth themselves. Yeah, I, I, you may want to correct me. They but weren't even down depth. They were down their two two, two right. of their top yeah. players. Yeah. And, and, but also also Zaboro. Yeah, Zaboro would an, be there. not an insignificant I, loss. I yeah. did want to bring that up because his injury, which is a lower body injury, to me it kind of looked like a knee but I'm, I mean, obviously we're not 100% sure what it is besides just that it's lower body. Um, couldn't put any weight on it getting off the ice in Nashville. Does not look like it's going to be a quick recovery or return for him. No, it's it, it's one of those, it was one of those hits where you watch it and there was nothing there besides a good clean hit, but it's one of those where you see the guy's knee just get crunched up against the boards, not in a hyperextended way, not in like a knee-on-knee type way. But you see those hits, and I don't even know exactly what injury that kind of causes. Um, but but you, but you oftentimes see like guys get hit like that and or out longer than something that looks a little bit more graphic. Yeah. Like I think the initial hope, like you're hoping maybe it was a Charlie horse or like it was just going to be a bruise or something. But um, yeah, I mean we haven't gotten any word. There was like a little bit of twisting in there too, which is what would really concern you. Um, so we'll have to see. But yeah, just the way you left the ice, it. Obviously didn't look good, and to Bridges' point, like you wouldn't expect that to be short term. Like, I would be surprised if he's on this road trip, but I, you know, I guess we'll see when they get back on the ice. The Bruins had Sunday off, so they get back on the ice on Monday. And you really hate to see it for him too, because he had been he all he all of a sudden cracked the lineup and was in there consistently. I believe it was eight games in a row. Yeah. Um, and he was playing well. He seemed to show improvements from last season, and. You just hate to see someone get dropped back out of the lineup, and obviously you never know what's going to happen if he's out long term, long term or short term. If Clifton starts playing better, you never know what his opportunity is going to be. Yeah, actually, you mentioned Clifton. He's the one guy now that I think back that had a few too many bad decisions against Tampa. Now that I think about it, I thought he, uh, I thought, I thought he had some some poor um passes up the middle a couple a couple icings that just it's like what what are you doing like you know he's trying to he's trying to go for like a you know a three zone tip in or it just misses i thought you know i thought he was he he blew a few tires too that led to some chances I, he actually was not great against tampa um but to your point bridget against uh with, with Zaboro, yeah you hate to see it i guess the only good if you want to call it good news it wasn't another head injury and for a guy who's talked about you know losing confidence in the past after having concussions about his game and decision making, you know uh, a lower body injury shouldn't really affect that part that that mental aspect of the game. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you just hope it's not too long. He he has been you know he was playing really well and he was he was he was playing the body. He was moving the puck well. You know, uh, strong first pass. Again, 
not mistake free. Most people are, uh, don't play mistake free unless you're Patrice Bergeron. Um, but yeah, it's that's kind of that's that stinks to see for sure. Yeah, he became a top six option for them, and and yeah. even you know because of that, they were able to have more depth on defense with Clifton being the guy that they could call in now. Um, they call in a Sean, which obviously wasn't a sure thing. He's a good prospect, and he's you know a very offensive minded guy who could be a, a good piece for them in the future. But they that's not a sure thing when you bring him in. So. Uh, the depth definitely takes a hit when you lose a Boro. I, I will say on a Sean, I you you say he's an offensive guy. He is. I I don't think he gets enough recognition locally because, quite frankly, people haven't seen him enough. He's 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 actually really pretty good defensively too, especially for his size. Like a lot of people compared him to Tory Krug mm. because of the undrafted aspect and undersized captains at a double at an NCAA team. And they have you know, a, Hobie, Hobie Baker, uh, you know, finalists or whatever. Like, um, they kind of skate. If you watch how they skate, they kind of yeah, have a similar. I, yeah, I think a Sean skates more smooth than, than Krug, but yeah, I mean, but where they differ is I, I think Krug upside is offensively is a little bit higher, um, especially at that young age. But I think uh, a Sean's defensive upside is is, is more than than Krug's than Krug's uh, was and you know is. Yeah, and and I think it's it's a reminder that like not all undersized defensemen are the exact same because uh, I was just reminded of uh, before the season, so this must have been during training camp. Um, we we got to talk to Ryan Mujanel, the Province Bruins head coach, and someone asked him about like uh, it was either like does Ashan com- compare to Grizzlick or you know like are they kind of duplicate players? Like it was something along those lines, and. Mujanel was like, I've heard that before, and like I actually don't think it's fair. And he called, um, I think he compared Jack Ashan to a fire hydrant in terms of like how he's built. Like he's just stocky, he's stronger, and like he'll get more involved physically. Like to your point, in terms of defensive upside and and what he brings. Like yeah, you're you're never gonna, he's never gonna be like completely manhandling people defensively, but. He is stockier and stronger, and I think harder to push around. Like, not that – I don't want to say Grizzly gets pushed around. Like, he finds ways to not – but Grizzly will find different ways to get away from people without having to engage in, like, a head-to-head strength battle. Whereas, like, Ashan, I think, can hold up to to that better. Like, I, I you know, I think he can hold his own a little bit more and hang in there in, in a battle against a bigger player. And Scott, what's uh, what's Jack Ashan's Twitter handle? Oh my god! <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the Bruins tweeted this out, and like, I guess Ashan's either like not active, or no one had really tweeted his handle before because um, <laughs> he only had like a thousand followers or something. Oh, it was a uh, Lil Uzi Akon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that what that would mean. Like, I saw it's like a gamer tag. So when they first like popped up in my timeline. And like I hadn't like looked at, like the photo or like what the content was. I was like, "What is there like some rapper like at the garden tonight? Like what what is happening?" <laughs> and, well, also like and then you realize like it's Jackishon's Twitter handle. It's just like, oh my god! Like I hope he never changes yeah. it. Like it's incredible. And, and some some letters were capped and others mm-hmm. were like lowercase. <laughs> so it's just kind of a funny uh, visual. Um, but yeah, so we haven't really talked about this. Um, so going forward, right? 
is if he's not traded by Wednesday, is Jake Bruss playing? I mean, do, do, do you think he even makes the trip out west? Do you think he's even on the team by then? If not, if not, like you know, what what do you think? What do you think the Bruins fans should reasonably expect in return for him? So I think if he's not traded, I think he does continue to play only because I kind of feel like once you pull that plug. You can't go it, back. It's kind of got to be for good. Like, if you're saying, like, we're not going to play you because we're working on a trade or we're getting close to something, then you can't really, like, go back a week. Like, say someone else gets banged up. Like, what, now you go back a week later and it's like, hey, Jake, we need you again. Like, you're back in. I mean, yeah, he's under contract, so you can do that. But, like, that's really not ideal. Like, either he's playing with you until he's traded or now you're comfortable with, with – what else you have in the lineup, and essentially he's done. Um, so I would lean towards him probably playing. Um, we haven't we haven't heard anything that would suggest that like a trade's coming in the next couple of days. Yep. I think you know, I think it might have been Elliot Friedman who maybe put somewhat of a timeline on and said you know he thinks maybe by Christmas. So you know you're still looking at potentially a couple of weeks until Sweeney really starts to drill down on. Okay, who's making the best offer? Who's the most serious? Like, who am I really like spending my time negotiating with? And who's kind of just because we we see these reports of like a dozen or more teams interested, and you're like, oh wow, you know maybe the Bruins can drive up the price and get people bidding against each other. It's like, well, all all right, but interested could literally just mean they made a phone call. I I, I see that Debrusca's available. We're not really in position to give you anything too much value, but. If it drops down to a fifth or sixth round pick, let us know. We'd be interested. Like, like that's what interested could be. So, you know, you might have eight teams who have done that, and four who are actually serious about wanting DeBrusque and potentially giving you something of value. So the reason I ask is because um, Andrew Raycroft, who um, does stuff here at EI, and he's um, been a guest of ours. He he and Billy Jaffe were talking on on uh, the Morning Brew podcast. I was listening to last week. It was, it was before the Detroit game, but it was after DeBrusque had asked for a trade. And Razor, from his, from a player's perspective, this is also before worth mentioning. It was before uh, Anton Bleed was ruled out, and it was before it was known about Providence. So the opportunity to bring players up was still a, was in their mind still a thing. Um, Raycroft Raycroft said that. Um, if teams, if teams are not interested in DeBrusque and Don Sweeney is getting like no calls on DeBrusque, then DeBrusque is playing, um, because he has to drive up, you know, show people before they call. He said if teams are interested in him, and, and teams are lining up to call about DeBrusque, he said DeBrusque should not play. After Cass, after um, Razor and Billy recorded that, it came out that. Providence had COVID, so they couldn't call up anybody, so DeBrusque had to play. And it also came out that there were at least 12 teams interested. How interested, I don't know. But so those are, so Razor didn't know those things when he said that. So now that we like we know the situation, do you agree? Now that we know teams are interested interested in him and Martian's back and Providence can, has call-ups now, do you think that there's merit to what Raycroft said? That now that there's teams interested that they know of, should he not play? 
there's some merit to that. I think kind of like what I was saying. Like, I think if if you feel like you're getting close and you're down to like the last few teams and you're getting offers in a ballpark where you're like, okay, I, you know, you're Don Sweeney and you're saying, okay, I, I could trade Jake DeBrusque for this. Like, I, I could take this package um, or this play. It might just be a one for one deal or pick or whatever it is. Um, Better not then, be pick. then I would say, okay, like, yeah, take him out. But if it's still, if you feel like, you know, you're not there and it's still going to be a couple weeks and you're still sorting through stuff, then I'm playing him. And the other part of this that the Bruins absolutely need to take into account is does playing DeBrusque give them the best chance to win right now? As we mentioned earlier, you are not in a position to be sacrificing points or running out a lineup that's not your best. Um, I would say DeBrusque, the way that he played this week, especially if Bleed is still out, I think DeBrusque on the fourth line might give you the best chance to win over some other options. Um, now, if his game starts to go south and he has you know a bad game and disappears, then he probably doesn't, and then benching him becomes a hell of a lot easier. So, well, also like I'm pet, I would be petrified that, and it wouldn't happen. But now that it it can't happen, it probably will happen. I'd be petrified that he that he that he he would get hurt, and now 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 you got now he can't, he's no longer valuable to, to a trade partner. So like that's the biggest reason for me where. Since teams are interested, do you do you really want to show any more faults of his, and do you want to risk injury? That's that's kind of where mind my mind is at. And if he's playing eight minutes in the fourth line, you know, aside from the second power play unit, he's really probably not going to be that impactful in the game for you anyway, as far as um, stockpiling uh, points in the in the in the bank. Well, yeah. I guess what what Raycroft said it it applies now, right? Whereas it it was a good idea, but it didn't apply these past three games because of the Marchand suspension. Right, that's why I bring it up, yeah. And because of the bleed situation. So you were never going to find out what the Bruins' uh, mindset behind, you know, maybe potentially benching DeBrus is going to be this past week because they didn't really have the option. Yeah. Uh, they, they just didn't. Um, and, like, to Scott's point, they knew that was the their best chance to win was with him in the lineup now with Marshawn back and you know do you move Hala to fourth line uh wing and take the Russ out of the lineup it's an option um or Oscar Steen could slide in too yeah but so this is when we'll find out right well and, and this I mean to to what Raycroft said this is when we're going to start to see whether or not they're close because if he comes out and he didn't have a bad game, and he's not getting sat for for that reason. I guess you can probably put two and two together that there could be something coming coming pretty soon. Yeah, and I would again come back to like what what kind of I don't even know if Sweeney's getting actual offers yet, but like what does it sound like he might be able to get? Because to your point about injury, if you're you know if you're talking to some of these other GMs and pieces of value are coming up, whether that's a player, pick, prospect, whatever it is, then yes, that's more incentive to sit him because if he gets hurt, then you're going to lose out on that valuable piece, whatever it might be. If if all you're getting is teams saying fifth or sixth rounder or, you know, middle tier prospect or, you know, fourth liner X, like 
then it's like if he gets hurt, so what? Like you're not missing out on some valuable piece right. anyway. So, you know, I think that's that's what that'll tell us when that decision comes. Like if DeBrus continues to play, that tells me a they're probably not super close to trading him, and b he's probably not getting any great offers. Whereas if they sit him, that's probably a sign like that either something's close or Sweeney is at least liking what he's hearing. I I absolutely think that. You know, Bridget asked me last podcast if I thought that his value had gone up at all this year, and I I didn't think so. I think I thought I thought that teams that would have been interested in him in the offseason would have been the same teams. Uh, since we recorded, it came out like I said, that, like apparently twelve teams were at least somewhat interested, if not more. Um, but I think that his value has at least gone up to closer to what it should be for a player of his talent since we last recorded because. Teams are watching him in the last few games, and they're saying to themselves, all right, Jake knows all all eyes are on him in his own organization and around the league. How is he going to play now that he knows everybody's watching him? And what did he do? He, yeah, he scored He scored a nice nice shot on the second power play, right? Picked a corner, goal scorer is goal. Um, but he, he showed off his speed a lot more in the last two games specifically. Than he had at any point really in the last you know year plus like he was challenging guys outside, you know he just wasn't hesitant. He got he, he was showing he was showing what he's capable of doing when he's motivated and wants to play. So if you're an, if you're an executive of a team that's interested in him, you're you're looking at your, the, the people to your left and right and you're saying, yeah, this kid could play when he wants to. Like like not that we didn't know that before, but he, he can still play when he wants to and be effective. And they're probably saying to themselves. All right, if we put him with you know, um, you know, uh, Zabinajad and, and and or somebody on the Rangers or or the Oilers looking at him and saying, you know, he could look really good next to Drysaddle or or I'm not or or, or Calgary's like, yeah, maybe him and Monahan could be something. Like I'm just like whatever teams looking at their own situation and how Jake DeBrus could help them. And I think that the last few games he showed teams out there, yeah, I can still play when I want to. I just. I'm not really feeling it with my coach right now, and I hate the situation that I'm in. Well, yeah, and so Hall talked about this when um, I believe it was after the Detroit game. There were still a, a bunch of questions asked about um, DeBrusque, and uh, Hall brought up that they had a meeting where DeBrusque talked to the guys and said, like, I love you guys. I'm just at a crossroads in my career. And so teams know that he's at that crossroads, and it's not, you know, it, it's just a situation he doesn't want to be in. But take this how you will. Um, Hall said, I'll, I'll quote him, um, he's got a lot of skill and he's he's going to have a good career in this league going forward. So mm-hmm. take that as you will because obviously Hall is, just, is being nice with that statement. But, I mean, Hall is, you know, no he, – he's someone who can evaluate talent fine. So Yeah. I, I, think, I think right now as we speak, Sweeney's trying to figure out, all right, do we want to – do we want to trade Jake to somebody for somebody with, uh, you know, somebody similar, right? Like somebody who might be in a tough situation but has potential. And that might just be like a third-line type player, right? Or do we want to package Jake and try to get a top six center? And they're probably trying to figure out if we do that, what's the rest of the package? What do we, who, who are we willing to part with, whether it's um, picks or prospects or maybe another roster player so I think Don Sweeney's trying to find he should be 
trying to find how to optimize this 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 trade. Do we just want to go one for one, or do we? Because I I think that teams will be willing to a team in a shitty situation like Vancouver, right, where their season is looking abysmal right now and they're playing so much worse than their potential. You know, they might be sitting there saying like. Yeah, Don, look, uh, we have JT Miller's contract in the books. We don't see him being on our team long-term anyway. We kind of, we're not playing well right now. Whereas, like, someone like Brock Besser, he's he's never he's not going anywhere. Like, he's a part of their long-term plan. Someone like JT Miller, Vancouver could sit there and say, all right, look, you want to send us to uh, DeBrusque and, you know, like a second-round pick? And, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to really get in. And, and somebody else, right? All right, yeah, we, we maybe we'll give you JT Miller because our season's in the dumps anyway, and we need change, and he's not part of our long term. So Don Sweeney's tr- maybe trying to figure that out right now. I, I think that I think DeBrusque has helped the team, ironically enough, in the last few games be- because now they can probably optimize a departure of his more so than they could have prior. And he helped him win a big two points in Nashville, game winning yeah. goal. So one of the one of the few actual names we've seen floated when it comes to DeBrusque is. Again, Elliot Freeman floated the idea of DeBrus going to Seattle for Mason Appleton, who, um, you know, Appleton had a pretty solid season with Winnipeg last year, 12 goals, 13 assists in, in 56 games. Hasn't really clicked in Seattle. I think he has, like, four points in 14 games or something. Um, that's probably, like, about the value that you're looking at in a one-for-one player deal. And Appleton, I think, is... If he's playing well, a perfectly solid bottom six forward. There's not a ton of upside there. Um, DeBrusque would and certainly you, be the one with more upside in that deal. Yeah, and but, you could be swapping out one prob one you know your problem for the other team's problem, and well, and that's how that kind of deal works. Is you're hoping that and that's why I don't want the change of scenery helps both guys. Yeah, I don't. I don't think a one for one is going to be the best option well, if they can if they can find a deal which i think that they should be shopping that more seriously than the one for ones and that kind yeah. of situation you if someone calls and they say hey we're willing to offer you you know this and that for for Jake DeBrusque and you say well can we interest you yeah. in this deal like don't even talk about like the one for one or the pick just like be like no can we interest you in something else? Because we want to make like a, a bigger package deal. Look, if you were to tell me a few weeks ago, Jake DeBrusque is going to ask for a trade, and what you're going to get in return is uh, a, a low ceiling bottom six guy, I'd be like, well, that's what the Bruins deserve because DeBrusque has played like shit, and it's just it's what it is. That's what he's regressed to. But it's not what they need. They might be able to turn the situation into something that could actually fill. Fix right. some something that they that they need fixed. But more importantly, that's before I knew how many teams are interested in them. So if you're telling me that almost half the league has at least reached out to the Bruins to show interest, and the best you can do is Mace Lappleton, you lost the deal because strictly on potential alone, unless he ended up becoming a 25 goal scorer well, for you. But but here's another problem: is if that many teams are interested, only a couple of them are out of the playoff picture at this point in the season. Like, it's still so early that a lot of teams think they have a chance. So you mentioned Vancouver. That's obviously yeah, that's one, why they come that's, one that's, that's out yeah. of it. That is, you know, they might as well be starting to listen on pieces that they might be moving. There aren't a lot of other teams like that. So if you're talking about packaging DeBras for someone better, you're eliminating 
a lot of the league because if you're a team that's in the playoff hunt, you're not you're not trading away the best player in the trade. So you're you're only dealing with maybe not even a hand, maybe yeah. a handful, maybe not even a handful. If it's teams one for one, that, if it's one for one. No, I mean no, I'm talking about more. if you're packaging. Yeah, if you're if you're wanting to package for like a center, like yeah, you were like, like if you're trying to target like a legitimate middle six four, like if you're if you're trying to package DeBrusque with other pieces to get an upgrade, mm-hmm. a team that's in the playoff hunt right now, oh, is, right. isn't going to be dealing you an upgrade. Uh, no, hundred percent. That that's why that's why you know when 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 I see Flames and Rangers and Oilers, I, I just don't think that that's best for the Bruins because those teams don't. They they have so much more to lose by giving away a good roster player. That's why Vancouver comes to mind, um, and that's why, like Chicago has come to my mind too. And I, I've seen Dylan Strom's name floated out there. Uh, you know, somebody who's similar age to DeBrusque and has a ton of potential, a former first rounder, but hasn't and that, really. And clicked. that could be closer to a, to a one for one. Oh yeah, like That'd Dylan Strom's in in the same kind of situation where, you know, young guy potential, but it's not really panning out and working. Yeah. There. I I think a one for one. Is more what that would be, absolutely. But again, like so, like Chicago comes to mind. I don't, I don't. Can, look, I, can I have a lot of fun here? Yes, you can. Go for it, Phil Kessel. <laughs> oh no! Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, how old is Kessel now? Thirty-five. Yeah. Um. <laughs> look, I mean, look, hey. <laughs> He's a two-time cup winner since we last had him in Boston. On a strict hot dog only diet. And you know what? He it's the he, best diet. It, <laughs> it, look, is he an upgrade over Jake DeBrusque right now? Short answer? Yes. Yes, he is. And so Phil Kessel is 34 years old. He so this season off to a slow start. He has three goals, 10 assists in 24 games. Um, but notably his shooting percentage is half of his career average. So some of those will start to go in. Last year on a very bad Arizona team, had 20 goals and 43 points in 56 games. Yeah. I would do it. <laughs> I love it. Like, just, I would absolutely do that. I mean, j- just the me thinking about the stories. and, and Yeah, like, he's like, what, how many clicks would the, I get? The interest you get out of that? You, the big, But the biggest reason I, would, I like that, Scott, is because, number one, you are upgrading your team in the here and now which is the Patrice Bergeron window without sacrificing. I mean, that would be a one-for-one, one, you think, yeah? Uh, no, I think you probably have to include more. because Not I, a first, though. Because I, I think I think Arizona's going to – I think they'll have a good market for Kessel. So they're not going to – if they're moving him early, you know, meaning months before the trade deadline, then they're, they're going to want to get something. If it didn't cost me a first-round pick, then I'd be okay with – Kessel in any way if it wasn't a, if it doesn't include a first round pick Jack Sanika Fabian Lysel or Mason Lorai who is probably their best defensive prospect right yeah probably years away but yeah um then yeah I'm all I'm all for that um th- I just and reuniting don't... Kessel in Boston what 13 years or something like that after he left Hey, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. I mean, <laughs> um, I just, I also see teams out there like linked to the Bruins with DeBrusque's interest, like Ottawa, and you know, I don't see the Bruins like really dealing with. I just feel like it's going to be a Western Conference team and a non-playoff Western Conference team, and so like I said, Vancouver, Chicago, you know, Seattle, you know, although they have a better, ch- they can still make the playoffs. I mean, yeah, in especially that, in that, that division, in that wild card race too. Yeah. Arizona, like you said, so. 
We'll see how it shakes out. It's just, you know, I, I no longer feel I, – I used to feel like if you traded Jake Dabrowski, you were going to lose it no matter what. You'd be lucky to get a bag of pucks for him. Now that he's playing – now that he's showing what he can do when he's motivated, and we already know the amount of teams interested – Don Sweeney has to you, you have to you have to at least break even with this deal. You cannot lose this trade. You just can't do it. So, um, do we have anything else we wanted to hit on on any other uh, topics? I don't think so. Bridget. No, I mean we didn't we didn't spend a lot of time on the defense, but that's because you know that was pretty pretty solid this week. Uh, goaltending. Yeah. Well, goaltending. Yeah, goaltending. It looks like Tuukka Rask is coming back. That 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 seems pretty sure, right? That's that that's a sure bet. Yeah, I think so. I think where things get interesting is, you know, if Swayman's out playing Ulmark, is Swayman still getting sent down? Because that, that, that's the easiest move to make. Swayman does not have to go through waivers, so you send him down to Providence. He's your starter there. He plays a ton. He continues to develop. Kind of feels like their hands are tied, really, honestly, yeah, for that. Yeah, because you can't, you can't do really anything with Ulmark. Like, you know, you're not even going to be able to – trade him like his there's no one's taking on that contract unless he just goes on like an absolute tear over the next month or something so um, he gave me a good old uh no further comment the other day who did all <laughs> mark <laughs> scott what, what was, was you weren't there scott I asked Allmark about um the conversation DeBrus had uh, with his teammates yeah. and he just gave me a good uh JD's a good kid. No for the comment. Yeah, that's so funny. I was like, ah, I got one of those. I saw you made uh, Cassidy late for dinner the other night. Yeah, he was not happy about that. <laughs> I think I'm becoming uh, even more hated than Scott McLaughlin up there. <laughs> um, uh, there, there was there was one other thing I wanted to. Uh, oh, um, some people, some Bruins fans, uh, media members were were not were none too thrilled about some liberties taken on uh, on St. Patrice down in Nashville. Um, oh, yeah, I, I would say real quickly on that in the moment I too was like, you know, like wh- where, where is somebody stepping up right now? But there's two things that stuck out to me. Number one, you, you weren't again, because of the season so far, you're not in a situation to, to, to take any dumb penalties and lose a game. Number one, number two, the simple fact of the matter is this. Nashville's tough guys would have beat the shit out of anybody on Boston. <laughs> like, who on Boston is going to step up and drop the gloves? The only guy, look, Trent Frederick, we've seen him, like, he likes to chirp. He's he's not a good fighter. He hasn't really won a fight since he beat Brandon Tanev. He's kinda, he just, like, throws he, wildly. He just like, throws <laughs> wildly. If, if he would have fight somebody, no disrespect to Frederick, but if he if he would have go with, like, Mark Borietsky, for example, on Nashville, he'd get tuned up. He would have Also he, just came back from a concussion a couple just weeks came back ago. Yeah. Concussion. Nick Felino is a guy who you know he knows how to he can he can he can throw him but like my point is there's nobody on the Bruins roster who's going to be like don't touch him and then drop the gloves with somebody and and send a message to Nashville like they don't have any of those guys so like the fact of the matter is that's more of a personnel issue than anything else yeah well and even beyond that you touch on it but like you're you're protecting a lead in a, in a game you can't afford to lose so yeah you're not going to do anything stupid like you. In a game don't where guys... your goalie is already, you know, bailing you out. Yeah, so you don't want to put yourself in that situation. And two, I would say most of what Nashville is doing wasn't going to hurt Bergeron. So there was the one hit that was, you know, I think it ended up being like shield to his nose and he ends yeah. up with that good gash. But mm-hmm. it's not like someone headbutted him. Like it was just a hit where 
just the kind of the way their bodies came together, it ended up being like almost face to face. Yeah. Other than that, it was just a lot of, you know, a little stick work here, a shove after the whistle. Like it was annoying, and yeah, you, ideally, like you kind of step up and you know, someone knocks down a Nashville pl- player, and it's hey, knock it off. But it, it's not like they were like. I didn't think they were trying to injure Bergeron. Like I didn't think it was like no dirty. It was just it was annoying. What 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 could have been done though? So like the the Forsberg hit, right? Um, look, Bruins fans aren't gonna like to hear this. It wasn't a dirty hit. Like it, it, like you said, it was kind of like the because of the collision. You know, it may have ended up being like helmet to shield or whatever. It wasn't like a direct headshot at all. Um, I those those hits aren't. I don't like to see them because they're blindside hits, and you know you you can you can you can mess up somebody's head even if you don't hit their head. You can hit their body and could just jar their neck. That said, there is onus on Bergeron to know that he's in the middle of the ice and his his back is to the play. And but it wasn't like it wasn't a penalized hit on the play. And it, it but that one is and Bergeron stuck up for himself there. The one that annoyed me, where it's like, all right, somebody can do something here, is when. Nick Cousins, of all people, decides to just stop up and, like, shoulder burst after a whistle. Again, like Scott said, not going to hurt him. But you can't tell me Nick Foligno, on the contrary to what I said earlier, like, you can't tell me, like, somebody like Derek Forbert or Nick Foligno couldn't go out to the next face-off and just, like, you know, face-rub Nick uh, Nick Cousins. Again, I don't think you get a penalty for that. And if anything, it'd be, like, matching. But, uh, like, Nick Cousins is, like, a... He's a journeyman, like like, that's Patrice Bergeron. Like, somebody should have at least, like, gone up to him, like, and just been like, you want to go? Yeah, that. But that's that's about it, though. Um, but yeah, it's it's only it's only a fourth of the way through the season, and Bergeron's already in like Eastern Conference Finals. His his face is already in Eastern Conference Finals conditions. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Coyle has taken a few too. He's now he's got one yeah. above his eyebrow. So, but in, in other facial doing. news, David Pasternak got his teeth fixed. Yeah, he did. I know. But hey, a all lot of people did two front yeah. teeth, right? <laughs> Or half of each front tooth, whatever the <laughs> yeah. hell it was. But a lot of people were like, no, we miss yeah. the, we, we like the teeth. But that's the thing, like with hockey players, you're always like, why don't they get their teeth fixed? And then finally Pasta gets his teeth fixed and people are like, oh, I miss and it. You, you know he's going to take like a puck or a stick to the yeah. face well, uh-huh. that's, the next couple games. To Bridget's point, like, I, if, I, if that were me, I probably wouldn't touch him until I hung him up because like, 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 like Scott just said, it could happen again. So when you well, retire, fix it all, but... Like I remember, like that, that was Jack Stanika's explanation because he had someone had asked him about that like last year or, or I don't know at some point when he got called up, be, and he said like I've I've got my teeth fixed twice like going back to like his teenage years and both times I've ended up like getting them knocked out again so yeah. he's like he's like I'm just done with it at this point like I'm not going through it again. Yeah, and he's Craig a, Smith he's, seems to be adopting the same method. Like he's yeah. just like, nah, screw it. No, but he, Smith has like an insert yeah. for when he goes out in public. Yeah. <laughs> but Sadiq <laughs> is a young kid. He's 22, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. I, I guess I'm going to be missing these teeth. Yeah. It's not even just one tooth. It's like two or three. <laughs> yeah. Um. So hopefully next time we uh, we talk, there'll be some a little bit more clarity on um some some team personnel. Um, Got some late nights coming up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 as things stand right now, the state of the Bruins, um, they're starting to play the right way. They're bringing, they're bringing the uh, the will to win, even though the results aren't always there. Um, but I look forward to the days, the episodes, a couple months from now, where we know what this playoff, hopefully, 
playoff roster will be looking like. Um, because a couple of moves here and there, and this team, this team, you know, they're really not far away fr- from being a cup contender. It's just that the fine line between not being far away and being a cup contender isn't the easiest thing to navigate. Like you, you gotta make you gotta make the moves, but they're and, not always easy to make. And I think also if you're playing the right way and you're playing hard, it it at least makes the I'm not saying it makes Don Sweeney's job easier in terms of finding those pieces. But it makes his decision easier in terms of this is a team worth investing in. Like, yeah. if if guys are dogging it and you're not getting good efforts and all that, like now you're opening it up to the GM saying, "Not our year." You know, right? We, we're going to do something else. We're not going to we're not going to spend draft capital or prospects to upgrade this roster. Yeah. Well, like 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 last night out in Vancouver, the the Penguins beat the Canucks, and when the final horn went. It was a 4-1 loss. The entire Canucks bench, the camera panned on their bench after the buzzer. Nobody got up from the bench for about five seconds after the buzzer. They all, they're all they all just standing like, like, like a 1998 video game on the on the bench just looking straight ahead. There's jerseys being thrown on the ice. They're getting booed off the ice. Like That's like a team where management's like, yeah, it's not our year. To Scott's point, that's not what the Bruins are at. And hopefully they can take advantage of maybe some other team situations, but it's exhausting. Like I, f- I looked at the schedule last night for the stand, uh, the, the standings last night, and they've played like twenty one games, and it just feels like the combination of the, the the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the Bruins this year, and the amount of games days off between games, the fact that they still have to to play as many games as they've already played just to get to the halfway point is like mind-boggling to me. Like there's so much hockey to go, is my point. So yeah, and they're still well behind most teams. Especially the teams that are ahead of them, they're yeah. they're behind. Like, think, Washington has played twenty five games. Toronto's played twenty five games. The Bruins still at twenty one. Yeah. I mean, the, the most notably, I think the Bruins are one spot out of a wild card, and that's to Detroit, who you you lost two points to the other night. But they also played twenty five games. Yeah, they, oh, they yeah. have four games. They have four games in hand. So on that. as yeah. Scott likes to point out, points percentage wise, they're probably right there. Right, Bru- Bruins are seventh in the Eastern yeah, Conference. There you go. Points percentage there you as go. of. Sunday afternoon when we're recording. Yeah, two 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 NHL storylines, non-Bruins related. I'm I'm really rooting for this year as it goes along. Is the Florida Panthers? The Bruins aren't winning the division, so if that's the case, I'm all for the Florida Panthers going on a run, um, and hopefully enough so where they still don't get the fan support. And Gary Bettman says, "All right, we got to move them to Quebec to Quebec now." <laughs> but um, the Panthers are a great story, and the other fun storyline that I'm rooting for now that I used to not root for as much is McDavid and Drysaddle because I always, as a Bruins fan, when Martian and Pashnak are like towards the top of the league in points, I always want them to like beat those two guys. So like there's games where I root for them not to score. Martian and Pashnak, they're not catching McDavid and Drysaddle this year. Nobody is. The fact that those two players are on a two-point-per-game pace a quarter of the way through the season is ridiculous. So I am rooting for them to, to score as many points as they can this year. Because they're playing so well, you just have to tip your cap to them and hope. And it's good for the league. and And I really hope that out west Edmonton goes on a on a deep run this year because McDavid and Drysaddle, McDavid specifically, deserves deserves it. Earned, it has it's it. it's unbelievable that it hasn't happened yet. I know. I I mean, I know. I mean, they had they had how many fir- fir- first overall selections in the t- ten year span, and they just couldn't find that on on, on entry level deals, and they still couldn't like get the you know the the depth around them, but they. It's they have it a little bit more now. I mean, Zach Hyman's been a really good pickup for them. Um, 
who knows, maybe Jake DeBrusque. No, I don't think so. But they're there. I want I, I want to see 150 by them. I mean, I, yeah. I, I want it to I want it to get to the point where it's it's the 82nd game of the year and those two are fighting. On e- <laughs> those two are setting each other up for points <laughs> against each other in the last game to see who wins the race. So that, that's so those two stores are uh, are pretty cool. I think. Uh, two other things I just wanted to bring up quick about uh, their stuff going on around the league. The Rangers are on an absolute tear. I mean, they're they're on a six game win streak. They're nine one and zero in their last ten games. Bring up the clip from the season preview when you guys laughed at me when I said the Rangers were doing pretty <laughs> I, good. Yeah, look, they're in second I was, place. I was down on them for sure in the metro um, right now, and they caught a bit of a break because on Saturday it looked like Igor Shesterkin had suffered what initially appeared a pretty serious leg injury and came out after the game that it wasn't as bad as it looked and it's a shorter term injury. Shesterkin, arguably the best goal in the NHL so far this season and has been a huge part of their success. So, um, you know, at like like you're talking about with like McD- wanting to watch McDavid and Dreisaitl just do something special. Like, I don't care if they're in the Bruins Conference or Division. Like, I just don't want to see the best players get yeah. hurt. Or, like, you know, yes, it would help the Bruins in the East if, like, a star goalie goes down, but you just don't want to see that. Like, Igor Shostakovich, good story so far. You know, a goalie's always been talented and is now really getting a chance to put it together and, and be, you know, a true number one. And also, on the opposite side of that, the Islanders haven't won in 10 games. I'll, if that wasn't your second point, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, they're I know 0, it's 0-8 and 2 in their last 10 I games. I know. 10-game losing streak. Like, that's that's a team where, you know, I think even as recently as like a week or two ago, it's like, oh, they'll, they'll figure it out at some point. Yeah. It's, it is quickly getting to a point where, like, they are too far out. They're, they're 30, 37% points percentage. Well, yeah. and... 5, 10, and 4. And yeah. they're with... But they've been without... Um, Nelson and Anders Lee, correct? Like, th- I mean, that's 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 massive. Like, those are just such two huge p- parts of their team. And Lee's, you know, that's uh, Anders Lee's a he's a guy you kind of root for. Like, he's plays the game the right way. Um, just has had terrible injury luck. Didn't even the, the the Islanders beat the Bruins last year in six without him in the, even in the lineup. And so, you know, there's there was definitely reason to be optimistic about the Islanders going into this year. And Barry Trotz is you know has has the team play really well. So. Kind of really mind-boggling, actually. Ten, ten game slide—that's tough. But well, they, they only have five wins on the season. They've played actually somehow fewer games than the Bruins. So the only yeah. team that's played nineteen games, if I'm not mistaken, they've only—they haven't even played yeah. twenty games yet. So and they started off no fault of the league. They started their first thirteen games in the road because their building wasn't ready, um, which I'm sure was tough for them. And they've had injury issues. And but at, at the end of the day, um, everybody has th- their issues throughout the season, and and they are a team that the Bruins in theory, would have been battling for for a wild card, um, along with Pittsburgh, along with Columbus, right now Detroit. So good news for and the Detroit's Bruins, right? And Detroit's on a five-game win streak? Yeah, they'll come back down to earth. They're fi- yeah, five-game win streak. But that, that, that's Philly's that, come back down to earth. Yeah. They're now yeah. slipping out of the playoffs. Yeah, they, they've, uh, they, they're playing terrible team defense. So um, the Islanders— What else is new with <laughs> Philly? Fair enough. But the, but the Islanders and the Flyers really struggling— Great news for the Bruins in a year where we anticipate that they'll likely be getting into the playoffs through wild card, um, unless they can find a way to 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 squeak a, a third seed. But I don't see that. I see Flor- Florida's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Tor- <clears throat> Toronto's doing their regular season thing, like you know, kind of figured, and then Tampa's just kind of being Tampa. Not for nothing, not to toot my own horn, but 
the right now the division's exactly the standings I, I predicted. <laughs> Florida, Toronto. Oh yeah, what Florida, about the Toronto, Metro? Tampa. Yeah, let's not talk about the Metro. We all, <laughs> I think we all had the Islanders up there in the Metro. Yeah, we did. But I, I will say, to Brian did hit hit on Priest because you were higher on the Rangers than certainly than me, and you were higher on Carolina than I was too. I so. was I, no, I was. I think yeah, I was, I, was high on Carolina. Uh, I was. I was. I actually was with you with Carolina. Um, my my, my preseason misses so far. I thought Carolina would have been a wild card team, but my my misses so far have been the. Uh, I thought I predict I predict the Flyers would be better, and I predicted the Islanders. So the two teams we just talked about. Um, but I th- I feel like everybody would have said. Oh, that we all the said Islanders. the Islanders. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean just us. I mean like I mean like every, every player yeah. and executive in the league would have said I that. I mean about two the Islanders. straight conference finals. Like, yeah. So that's kind of strange. And yeah, lost a couple pieces, but nothing. Nothing like. You know, did you think like Jordan Eberle was like losing him was going to be the reason that they right. completely fell apart? Like or Leo Komarov or, or Nick Letty. You yeah. know, Nick Letty's a good defenseman, but yeah. like you, we, you thought Noah Dobson was going to be ready to take the next step and kind of just right. slide in and replace him in the top four. And, and you and you also had Anders Lee coming back. Yeah. So like there was reason to be uh, for them to be excited, but yeah, so far. So look, it makes the Bruins' problems seem a little bit uh, more manageable. I mean, again, they're twelve, yeah, eight, they're again, twelve, eight, and at one. Least, at least they're hanging around. Like that's that's half the battle. Like just get yourself in position. You know, be around the playoff race, be there in that wild card race, and you know, be in, be somewhere where Don Sweeney says, "Okay, time to add." Yeah, you know, we can do something. This this is zero disrespect to Charlie Coyle. I think he's been one of their best forwards this year. Uh, the stats would say that he's got seven goals. I think. I think it's like second on the team behind maybe Marshan and Bergeron or or whatever or Pashnak. But um, Charlie Coyle has been he's been everything that they they've wanted and 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 probably more so so far. He's already passed his goals from last year. But I think I think we all know that. If they want to win a Stanley Cup or go on a deep run, he's better slotted as a number three center. With that said, if the Bruins can get a top six center added to this team, makes a world of difference. Could they still use an upgrade on defense? Yes, but that that's their biggest need. They need a number two center. We all kind of thought that was the case when Krejci left, so look, it's it's it sucks. But um, this team, this team, tread water and 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 address your team needs. They're gonna have to get creative, but. That's why we're the skate pod will be covering it all year now. That's right. No, no fashion segment this year. <laughs> uh, this, oh this God, episode. Scott! Yeah, see, yeah, Scott had a different suggestion. What? And we probably already run long enough. Maybe next week we can do. I was gonna say Christmas music instead of fashion, but all right, yeah, no, that'll that'll be next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be going. That'll go on forever. So episode seventy three, we'll talk about uh, rock around the Christmas tree. How's that for a ride? <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.